I just leaned over to my wife and said, it's only 5.30. I usually don't get the service till about 10 of. And she went like this, keep it short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True love, true love. Candid moments from Pastor Fred. Hey, let me um, just tell you a little story about uh, um, uh, CareNet. You know, if you were here last week, we had that amazing video that we showed, right, of the girl's story of, of how she uh, was, was making a decision about whether or not to carry that pregnancy to, to term. And in her story, she talks about this nurse that, uh, that comes into the room and, and, and talks with her. Uh, and, and, and it was through that conversation with that nurse, she, she realized that, that uh, I, I need to have this baby. I need to have this baby. Well, the, the director of CareNet, uh, Kimberly Logsdon, was here. There's a group of us uh, from the area that pray together once a month. And, uh, and so we were right in here praying uh, this past Thursday. And uh, Kimberly was one of the uh, people that helped to produce the, that story. That's one of the, the clients who came here to the uh, CareNet on the, on the peninsula. And, uh, and they didn't include this in the story because they use these videos in, in, in lots of different kinds of churches that have lots of different kinds of beliefs. And so they didn't want to scare right, some of these other, other congregations. But she said that there's no record of any nurse being there in that room with her on that day. And they, have, they keep track of all the staff who they are, where they are, and uh, at all times. And so when she was recounting the story of a nurse coming into the room, they kept saying, what nurse? And her mom said, who was there in the waiting room, no, no nurse ever came into that room to, uh, to talk with you. And so, I mean, this woman, right, has an angelic visitation there at the facility. Come on, it's so rich. You should clap. I know, it's good. Right, the Bible talks about you know. We I think sometimes we 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 miss these encounters because we only have these ideas of how angels come to us uh, in these in these in these supernatural ways that frighten us. Which is why usually the first thing out of an angel's mouth is fear not, right? Because it's pretty scary. But Jesus talked about entertaining angels unaware. That, that there's going to be angelic encounters that we're going to have in this life. I'm convinced that all of us have them in our journey, and then sometimes we just we don't realize it's happening. And so I'm just I'm sharing that with you because that promo video that Jen and Cam did, and then what we're trying to do with CareNet. That uh, I hope that you find a way to get involved because it's such an important ministry that's taking place here uh, in our our region. So. Hey, I want to tell you our faith promise story. You know, I've been sharing faith promise stories uh, every week as they've been coming in. And so as your faith promise story happens, I hope you give it to us so we can share it. And when you give it to us, we'll share as much or as little information as you're comfortable with because we want to respect your anonymity if, if that's important to you. But if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, you know when we share our faith promise story, we share the details of that story. And the reason why we share the details is because oftentimes it's in the details that you really begin to understand the significance of how God moved. And so we recognize in Matthew 5 through 7 in the story of the Sermon of the Mount that, uh, that Jesus gives a warning about giving details about giving. But you have to remember that warning is being given to people who do that out of the motivation of self-promotion. So the prohibition is not against sharing details of your story. The prohibition is against the wrong motivation. Does that make sense? In fact, the rest of the Bible actually encourages a little bit of transparency and sometimes a lack of privacy. One of my favorite stories in the Bible as a pastor is when Jesus is standing there at the temple and people are giving. And what is Jesus doing? He's standing there, right, and watching what people put in, and he's giving public commentary on what they're doing, right? How many of you are looking to go to a church who does that, right? Where the pastor's following around the offering, and he's watching what you give, and then he's giving commentary. But that's what Jesus was doing. So there's so many other stories in the Bible that where, where we've got to be willing to, to, to be a little bit exposed, I think, at times. And so, so our faith promise this year, we did a faith promise for $1,000. We didn't have that money. That wasn't budgeted for us. We didn't have that, that money to give. And, but that's the number we felt like God gave to us. And so I began to pray for our taxes. Our tax return was, was going to come. 
And so I began to pray that our tax return was going to be $2,000. That was my prayer. And I uh, was praying that every day if for $1,000 for our faith promise for us to be able to pay our CPA and then also to have some money for some home projects that, that we were doing. And, uh, and usually we don't get money back in, in taxes or we have to pay a little bit or if we get something it's small because we, are, we do quarterly taxes and so our, our, our CPA has us pretty dialed in. You with me? We want to only give what we have to give back to the government as opposed to, to having some big return at the end of the year. So it's, it's unusual for us to get a return. So, so I was praying for, for this, this $2,000. So last week, we got an email from our CPA. Guess how much? $1,957. Come on, is that not great? So, so my faith was $43 short, right? That's on me. My faith was, was $43 short, but I, I was so excited to send that text to Vanessa because we're, we're going to be able to give our entire faith promise, be able to cover the bill for the CPA, and then have some extra money for these, these home projects. And so I'm, I'm just encouraging you, if you don't participate in faith promise, you're not going to have a story. You're not going to have a story. And so those cards that are available to you, you can ask somebody in a blue shirt and they can get you one. And if we're out, then you can get in touch with the church. But I'm just, you don't put your name on there. Nobody's going to follow up with you and ask you. It's not a pledge. It's between you and God. But I'm just telling you, you've been hearing these stories week in and week out. And if you take a step of faith, I'm telling you, God's going to meet you in that place. And all of that money, 100% of it goes right back out of these doors and it goes to support ministries just like Karen so we're excited uh, about our faith promise, and I'm excited about your story, and I hope you share it with us. And again, we'll share as much or as little details as you would uh, prefer. So um, I just want to welcome uh, Jason and Amy Kearney. Are they in here right now? Come on. They're, uh, they helped start the Suffolk campus uh, over a year ago. We approached them and, and asked them to help us with that. They are part of the governance team here uh, in Newport News. They are uh, founding members of the City Life Church here on the peninsula. They were part of the plant team over 11 years ago. And, uh, and so we just so appreciate them being willing to carry uh, the weight that often comes with leadership. And so uh, they've been traveling there for over a year. And, uh, and so now there's Jason coming in now. Come on, wave Jason. There he is. All right. So, they, uh, so, so they've been elders over there at the Suffolk campus, and, and they really felt like God was. They live over here. They work on this side of the water, and uh, daughter goes to school over here on this side of the water. So they just felt like God was saying that their time commitment was done, and so we've been talking with them over the last couple of months, and so they're making the transition back here to the Newport News campus, so they'll be joining our governance team here uh, as elders. And, uh, and then Amanda and Anthony Hiltz, if you know Amanda and Anthony, are going to be joining the governance team, come on, at the Suffolk campus. And he's actually preaching there tonight at the Suffolk campus. So, so we're in a series on discipleship, and, and you know discipleship's an important, uh, it's an important word for us as a church because I don't think you can read Jesus' teaching and, and not come to the realization that he expects us to do some work in this life, to do some work on ourselves. And we, we like to use the phrase that we're going to make your soul sweat here at City Life. There's a work that God does. There's a work that only grace can do in your life and in my life. But there's a work that you and I have to do. And those are the 12 pathways that we teach. We have that website, letspraxis.com. If you're visiting with us and you've got questions about our discipleship model, you can go to that website and everything that you want to know uh, is on there. It's based on four numbers, the one, the six, the 12, and the 24. The one is an invitation that Jesus gives to us to become his disciple. The six or six foundational commands that are the basis of all of the teachings of Christianity. And then the 12 pathways are like spiritual activities. A lot of people call them spiritual disciplines. We call them pathways because they take you somewhere. And then the 24 virtues uh, is the portrait of the character of Christ that's supposed to get formed in us throughout our lives. And what we believe is that if you create a spiritually healthy environment in your life, those virtues are going to grow. And as those virtues begin to grow, they have a tendency to displace the things that aren't supposed to be there. We were having a conversation with a young couple uh, at the end of life group just this past week. They go to a different campus, and uh, in, in, in church and Christianity and faith is, is new for them, and so they got that Praxis book, and they've been reading through it, and, uh, and the wife said, it's the most amazing thing. 
I'm beginning to think differently. I'm responding in different ways. And her husband will shake it, nod and said, yes, she is. Yes, you're right. And, and so there is a work of transformation that's supposed to happen on the inside. It, it's not just about believing the right things. That's important. But we've got to do the right things. And I think that if you start doing the things you're supposed to do, you're going to have a lot less desire to, not do, the, to do the things that you're not supposed to do. Vanessa and the boys got their boater license this week. As you know, we're boating is a big part of our family activity, especially in the in the in the summertime. And so, you know, with Virginia, you've got to you got to take a course. So if you get pulled over by the Marine Police, you got to show them a certificate or that you can get a license. And so they uh, had. Uh, uh, the class on Monday and Wednesday of, of this week, and so then you have to take a test at the end, right, to pass, to show that you've, you've got the knowledge that you need to be a, a safe navigator on the water. And so one of the questions on the test they were, they were laughing at was, was if the Marine police board your vessel, right, what's a test that they can administer to you? And what do you think that test is? Yeah, a sobriety test, right? And so that was one of the choices. But one of the other choices was a spelling test. Like, why did they even put that on there as a choice, right? Who's going who's gonna to pick that? Can you imagine you're just boating along, the Marine police, right? The lights flash. It's just like when you're in your car, right? You start to get all nervous, and, and, uh, and they're going to say, I'm going to have to give you a test, right? And so because you've taken the boater safety class, you're ready, right? You're sober. You know, this, right? I shouldn't do that. And he says, I need you to spell the word extemporaneously. <laughs> what, what do you mean? I don't have to. T- what do you mean a spelling test? It wasn't in the class. Yeah, there's a spelling test. And if, and if you can't spell that word, you're going to be arrested. And I'm going to seize your vessel. Right? Who, you, would, who would, you would say, what's, you would think that you're on some show, right? There's a hidden camera somewhere because you're not prepared. That's not fair. We're going to have a test when we get to heaven. Do you know that? It's in this book. So, so we can't say, I didn't know. That's not fair. You didn't, you didn't tell me that there was a test that I was going to have to take. In fact, I think there's two tests. And the first test is a pass or fail test. And the pass or fail test is, did you make a vow of devotion in this life? And in the time that God gave you, did you make a vow of devotion to Christ? It's a, it's a pass or fail. And your eternity is dependent upon the outcome of that test. And, and if you can say yes, which I hope that you can, and if you can't, then let's talk some after the service. If, if, if you say yes to that, Matthew 16, which is the basis of our discipleship model, says that there's going to be another test. And that test is a character test. Is that God is going to look at your life relative to the character of Christ and the degree to which the character of Christ has been formed in us is going to have an impact on what eternity is going to look like for us. The Bible talks about rewards. The Bible talks about some people being celebrated. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians that some people, when they get into heaven, it is as though they've barely escaped the flames. I don't want to be the guy that just barely escapes the flames. I don't, I don't want to have a little char on my soul and I just barely made it in. I want to be one of those people whose character was so formed of Christ that there's a celebration in heaven when I arrive. Because one day, all of us are going to arrive somewhere. This room was full on Friday from a, 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 a I want to say he was a founding member of North Riverside Baptist Church, 73 Amazing, amazing man, amazing man. And this, there wasn't a, a parking place uh, available in this whole parking lot. They were parked on the street, balcony. I mean, people were, were packed in to celebrate his life. At some point, that's going to be you and me. We're going to breathe our last breath. There's going to be a test. And it's important that we know what it's going to be because God says to you and he says to me, You've got all the time that you need to get ready. And all the answers are not in the back of the book. They're in the whole book. We have the answers to the test that one day we're going to have to take. And part of what this church is committed to is to help you get ready. Part of what this church, the reason why we're here, is to help you get ready. To be able to say yes to pass that first test And to be able to be a person who gets a celebrated score on that second test. So tonight we're going to talk about worship. 
Originally, I was going to talk about gathering. Uh, we had a leaders meeting uh, earlier this week, and, and I was uh, certain that I was going to be preaching on the past pathway of gathering, and so we talked about that uh, as a group of leaders. But uh, late on Wednesday, I was here praying for the service, and I felt like God wanted to make a change, and so I've been joking with, with people all week. That's probably because the people that need to hear the sermon on gathering chose to not gather tonight with us, and so he's waiting for them. He's waiting for them. And so, so we're going to talk some more about worship. We got into worship quite a bit last week through our sermon and how that's connected with peace. Uh, all of these messages, you can get them on our website through our podcast, and then also the notes are available as well because we tend to cover a lot of textual ground on Saturday nights, and so we might move faster than you would prefer if you're a note taker, but you can download uh, that PDF so that you can have those notes. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. I'm going to start reading in 16. It says, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I have a wife, so I can't come. Now, I'm not going to comment on that because I'm not going to get in trouble. I get in trouble enough already, so you can understand verse 20 based on your own interpretation. I'm not helping you there. Jesus' answer here is in response to a question. And that's in verse 15. It says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. The Bible talks about a great feast that's one day going to take place in the heavens. And, and those of us who have made a vow of devotion to Christ are going to be a part of this great celebration. And the purpose of this celebration is just for one reason. It is to worship and celebrate and glorify our God. And so what you find here in this parable that Jesus is offering is that there is an invitation to step into a place of expressive, impassioned worship and people, the excuses that they're giving to why they can't come to be a, a part of this banquet. Do you recognize what all of them are not? None of them are these terrible sins. It's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say, I can't come to that banquet because I've just committed this terrible sin that I keep struggling with over and over and over and over so I can't come. It doesn't say, well, when I look at the list of the Ten Commandments, I'm continually failing at almost all of them, and so because of that, I, I really shouldn't be there. It doesn't say that, that I can't come because the other people that are going to be there, they know the real story of my life, and I I just I can't step into a room like that because I'm just gonna I'm gonna feel too much shame. Every reason that's given is a good reason. Every reason that's given, I would say, is an example of people being responsible. Every reason that's given is 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 a, is a reason that's being offered by somebody who's who's keeping a commitment or being a good steward of things that. That God, why would Jesus tell a parable like this? I think he's telling this parable because I think he recognizes that for most of us, the things that stop us from the pathways, the things that stop us from reading our Bible, the things that stop us from coming to church, the things that stop us from stepping into places of worship and being in the presence of God, which we're going to talk about extensively tonight, it's not because we're living these lives of these terrible, uh, egregious sins. It's because our priorities are just messed up. Jesus is saying one of the greatest struggles in your humanity is not that you're going to have to wrestle every day to not become this horrid person. Your struggle is life is hectic, it's busy, there's responsibility, and one of the greatest hardships on our humanity is learning how to order it all in the right way so that the most important things are prioritized in our lives. And Jesus is saying you're going to struggle with this. You struggle with that. I struggle with that. If your life is full, then priorities matter. And if those priorities are out of place, then you're going to struggle when God wants you to be thriving. 
And the way that you oftentimes thrive is to not make your life necessarily less busy, is that God wants everything that's in your life to remain in your life. He just wants to put them in a different series. He just wants to reorder them in a different way. And if you would allow him to reorder them in a different way, I think what you'll find is I find throughout my life is I'm actually able to accomplish more. That when I begin to prioritize my life in the right way, I actually make room in my life, even though I've not removed anything, there's room for other things to be added. So I'm going to talk about two priorities that you should have tonight if you're going to be a person of worship. If you're going to walk in the pathway of worship, then there's two things that you have to make a priority. Somebody say his presence. His presence has to be, has to be my priority. Mm, that water is so good. Anybody thirsty in here? Because no. you can only have water. So if you're thirsty, you can have water, but that's it, right? When have you been the most thirsty in your life? What's, the, what's a moment in your life? You raise your hand, I'll point to you. Don't tell me a long story, but something quick. When have you been the most thirsty, Sally? Youth camp, praise Jesus, you better believe it, right? And they make you drink really bad things there too. So, Did I see, I saw a hand pop up over it, Nathaniel. Mile 18, out of 26.2, yeah. Did you make it? Kind of, sort of. It, it depends on the definition to make it, right? Doug. Running a marathon in Bahrain. He just one-upped you. That's why we call one-upping people at the City Life Church, right? He's like, don't talk to me about being thirsty if you didn't run that marathon in Bahrain. Is that Jessica over there? Labor. Come on. That's, that's not one-upping, that's dropping the mic. So we should just end the participation moment there. But we won't because now her husband had his hand up. So the question is, is he going to give an answer? He's not, right? Wise man. Oh, he's my name. In labor while running a marathon. In labor while running a marathon. All right, there you go. There you go. That's great. You guys are awesome. Somebody else, a time where you've been the most thirsty in your life. Any hands up? The sun's shining in. Anybody? Most thirsty in your life. All the way in the back, Chad? A whole pepperoni pizza. And how long ago was that? It's been a long time, yeah. We don't believe that for one second, right? Most thirsty you've ever been. I've been thinking about this. I think the most thirsty I've ever been in my entire life, I can't remember if I was in high school or college. I grew up out in the country, and we were putting a new fence on at, at our, my, where I live with my parents, at their house. And uh, it was in the middle of the summer, and we were digging post holes, right? And, uh, and, right? And, and sometimes the ground is like, is this, did God make the cement, the earth here like cement, right? You just, you can't break through, and you're just, you're dripping wet with sweat. And my mom makes the best tea. Now, I'm not going to call it sweet tea because if you live in Virginia, that's the only way that tea should be made. And so she makes the most amazing tea, homemade, and, and, and she brought out this, this glass jar. Remember you could get juice in a glass jar, right? Tropicana would come in a, in a glass jar. I'm old. And so she brought out this half-gallon jug of iced tea that she had made the day before because it has to sit overnight if it's going to be really good. And I, I can still taste it right now. I remember, and I didn't set that thing down until it was empty. Right? I think that's the most thirsty I've ever been. Can, can I just say to you that I think part of the physical needs that God gives to us is because he's trying to connect us to a need that's deeper in. Listen to the song. This is so good. I hope you're having as much fun as I am. Psalm 42, one through two. Listen to this. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? Listen to Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? I, listen to this. I desire you more than anything on earth. Verse 28, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. 
you and I have got to make a priority in our lives, spending time in his presence, because your soul is desperately thirsty for what being in his presence can give to you, that worship is the moment where you drink from that fountain. The great Levitical blessing that comes to us in number 6, 24 to 26, is all about being in the presence of God. Right? May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance before you and give you his peace. What's that about? It's about being in the presence of God. Because they understood then what Jesus is trying to help us to understand now, that the human soul is desperately thirsty for the presence of God, and worship awakens us to his presence and it's like that fountain being poured out deep within. You've got to ask yourself whether or not you're making his presence your priority. Life is busy. It's busy for all of us. It cannot be too busy that his presence, it cannot be too busy that his presence is an afterthought. It cannot be too busy that, that, that his presence is a second tier. It cannot be so busy that, that, that his presence be, becomes something that's when I get to it. It can't be one of those things that's on the, the bottom end of your list. It's got to be at the beginning. It's got to be at the top. In fact, I would say all 12 of those pathways have to be at the top together of your life. And everything else of life flows from that. You and I are desperately thirsty for his presence you know, we're talking about priorities and how sometimes priority is our greatest challenge, more so than sin, but we can't talk about being in God's presence without mentioning sin just a little bit. In Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 10, we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but it's the story of Adam and Eve, and after they committed the first sin, what's the first thing that they did, right? They wanted to hide from God. They, so they, they, they commit this sin, and then their, their natural human reaction is to withdraw, You and I, when we do things that we're not supposed to do, not a whole lot has changed for us since the beginning of time. We do the things that we're not supposed to do, and we withdraw. We want to withdraw from his presence. We want to withdraw from relationships with people that love us. We, we, we want to withdraw from situations and circumstances that are, that, that are going to bring us to a place of account for us to have to deal with our mistakes. Ezra 9.6, I prayed, oh my God, I'm utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you. And then I love how here he makes it collective, not just individual. For our sins are, are piled higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Can, can we just agree that that if it is not a priority problem for you and it is a sin problem for you that keeps you from being wanting to be in God's presence, can we agree that that's when you need his presence the most? That's when you need it the most. That's why the devil beats you over the head with shame because he doesn't want you in God's presence. Because if it is sin and not priorities that are keeping you out, the only way that your heart is going to be made clean again, the only way that you're going to be restored again is for that thirst that's deep inside of you to be quenched. And God's presence is the only thing that can do that. And worship is the pathway that God creates for us to experience the quenching of our soul. If you're incredibly healthy and you never go to the doctor even for your annual checkups, then people might say, well, I can appreciate that. If you're desperately sick and you still won't go, right, people, people are going to give you a hard time if they care about you. They're like, come on, we got to go to the doctor. You're sick. We understand this in the, in the natural world. If there's a desperate need, we find the person who can help us. But when it comes to sin, we run from the only one who has the ability to heal our broken heart. His presence has got to be a priority in my life. And we can't hide from him anyways, right? I mean, come on. 
I'm going to give you these. We're not going to go there, but I just want to give you these texts. Hopefully, you'll spend some time looking at them. Hebrews 4.13. Again, all these notes are online. Proverbs 5.21. Proverbs 15.3. They all talk about how God sees us and that we cannot get away from his sight. And it's not given to us as a threat. It's one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture is that there's nowhere that we can go to escape his gaze. He sees us all the time and in every way. The promise of his presence is there for you and it's there for me. The question is, will you make it a priority because you're desperately thirsty? You and I have a responsibility to stop denying ourselves the gift of his presence that comes through worship. His presence must be my priority. The second one is this. Somebody say, their need Their need has to be my priority. Christianity is never just about us, although it is about us, but it can't stop there. It cannot stop there. You cannot read the teachings of Christ and and not come to the conclusion that he makes us responsible for one another. We start with you being responsible for yourself because then you can be the person you need to be for other people, but let's not make any mistakes here. Part of the reason why you need to get to the right place, this test that you're going to take, part of what that test is in regards to your character is the degree to which you've poured your life out for other people. Psalm 49 through 10. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. You've heard me use this phrase many times. Our personality is given to us to serve us, not to rule over us. God does not want to change who you are because he made you that way. But who he made me to be is supposed to serve my purpose. It's going to instruct me in how I move in my purpose. But at the point that I begin to use my personality as a justification for poor priorities in my life, then now I'm using something that God created and I'm defaming it. I'm a a naturally introverted person. I am. And that might come as a a surprise to to some of you. You might say, well, how can you do what you do and be naturally introverted? I would say it's difficult. And if you're an introvert, you know that I'm telling you the truth. But I can't use my personality to tell God, I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. We can't. It instructs me on how I do what I do. So we're at a wedding reception. What's my plan? I want to find one or two people and have this incredibly meaningful conversation. Right? I might talk to one person the whole entire night. And when I leave, I go, that was awesome. Right? Other people, <coughs> Vanessa, their plan, they walk in and they go, right? I'm talking to every person in this room before I leave here tonight. And if I don't get to everybody, I'm going to feel so defeated when it's all over. Right? You, you might be one extreme or, or, or the other. I get it. We, we all get it. We have personalities that God put inside of us. It's, it's there to guide and direct us. It's not supposed to limit us. And, and one of the challenges we face as naturally introverted people is that we deny the need of other people through our worship because we do not like to be conspicuous. Naturally, as natu- a naturally introverted person, this might be your struggle, is that you have a hard time being public with certain parts of your life, maybe especially parts of your life that deal with expression because it makes you feel self-conscious. Dignity is important, but at the point that my dignity stops me from doing something that God expects and that other people need, that dignity has now become pride. I- I'm not telling you to be undignified. But what I'm saying is, don't lie to yourself and lie to God that the thing that you're withholding from others and him when it comes to public praise and public expressions of worship, it's not about dignity at all. It's about pride. 
Because if it was just about dignity, you would gladly lay it down to serve other people. Psalm 40, verse 3. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord, all you extroverted people. That's not in my Bible. Oh, mine says, as a parenthesis, Introverts excluded, the beginning of verse 3. No, no, no. He has given me a new song to sing. God has a song that he wants you to sing to him. There is a hymn of praise to our God. He wants you to enter into these moments. These are fancy words from ancient language. We don't really use, some churches use the word hymn. We don't use this word hymn anymore. It's not a part of the, 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 the vernacular of our church, part of our nomenclature. I get extra credit if I work in certain words. We call it worship, because that's what it is. And God expects Psalm 40, verse 3, to be a verse about you, to be a verse about me, a hymn of praise to our God. Many, listen to this, what it says, many will see what he has done and be amazed. Listen to this. And then they will put their trust in the Lord. Their need has got to become my priority. Their need has got to become my priority. People in this room, they came in here tonight with a need. And part of the need that they have is to put their trust in the Lord. And one of the determining factors this verse tells to us as to whether or not they're going to put their trust in the Lord is through how they observe you in worship. Is the, is the moment of expressive praise that you're willing to enter into that it can so inspire other people that it will cause them to begin to trust and hope in God. It quenches the thirst of your soul and inspires other people to put their trust in Christ. Psalm 96, 1 through 3. Psalm 98, 1 through 2. All talk about this idea of many will see. There's a part of our Christianity that is supposed to be private. It's all supposed to be personal, but you better believe it's supposed to also be public. It's supposed to be public. Many will see has a double meaning here in the Hebrew. It's many will see in the sense that, that they will see that God's worthy of their trust being put in him, but the other part is the many will see is that they see you in worship. And it's them seeing you in worship that enables them to see that God is worthy of their trust. When you come in here on Saturday night, it can't just be about you. That's a big part of it. Don't get me wrong, right? We don't believe in false choices. Sometimes people have a tendency to teach or preach just one of these things, that it's only about you or it's never about you. No, no, no. It's about you and it's about others. And that's part of the rhythm of this life as a devoted follower of Christ. I've got to meet my needs. I've got to care for myself. And one of my motivations for doing that is so that I can better serve others. Acts 16, 16 through 25. I'm just giving you that as homework tonight too. Acts 16, 16 through 25 is the amazing story of Paul and Silas there in prison. I'm just telling you, prisons then are not what prisons are today here in America. They were desperate places. And you know what they were doing while they were in there? They were singing. Worshiping, shouting, praising God in spite of their circumstance. You know why that was? Because Paul and Silas, they understood this principle. They understood that in their most desperate moment, they were the most thirsty they could be. They knew that God was the great fountain of life that could restore their soul in spite of what they were facing. But they weren't just worshiping for themselves. They were worshiping for the people that were in there. Because they, they knew these psalms. They knew these teachings. They knew these verses. They knew that others' need had to be a priority and a priority that was even more important than their own desperation. Now, I'm not going to tell you the end of the story, but some incredible things happened because they were willing to step into that place of worship. So I always get here early on Saturdays. This water's so good. 
I always get here early on, on Saturday, and so I pulled in the parking lot, and I, a car pulled in quickly right, right next to me. And, uh, um, and the worship team is usually rolling up then, but it, it wasn't a car that I, that I, that I recognized. And so I just kind of sat in my car for a minute just to, just to be aware, you know, of, of my surroundings. And, and uh, because, you know, it, it came in right next to me with some intentionality. And so, um, so I see this gentleman get out of his car. I didn't recognize him. So I got out of, out of my car, and, and, uh, and, and he said, could you help me? And I said, sure. And he said, I was at the funeral that was here yesterday. And uh, I said, it looked like that must have been the most amazing service. He said, oh, it was unbelievable. And uh, I said, how did you know Mark? And he said, we, were, uh, we, we played golf together often years ago. And uh, he said, I had left my sunglasses in here and, uh, in, the, in the sanctuary. Would, would you mind letting me in so I could find them? And I said, sure, absolutely, come on. And I said, if they're not there, I explained to him, you know, we're not the same church that was here yesterday, and it's a multi-church campus, so if, if they were turned in, they're not going to be in our lost and found. And so he said, no, I understand. You know, just thank you for, for being willing to help. And, and, uh, and so we came in, and he was looking around, and I started helping him. We were looking under the pews, and, and we, we couldn't find his... His, uh, his sunglasses, and so, um, so I said, why don't we go peer through the office? I don't have access to, to that space, but let's peer through the window. Maybe it's on the counter. Maybe it's on the counter. We'll see, and so we're looking through, and we don't see him. I said, well, you should call him Monday and, and, uh, for North Riverside Baptist Church, and, and if they have them, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll be able to get them, and uh, I said, do you have a church that you, you call home? And, uh, and he says, he said, this, this, I kid you not, this was, he said, no, but my life is a miracle. So I paused for a minute because, you know, that's a little bit of an unusual response. And, uh, and he said it again. He said, he said, I'm a miracle. And I said, well, tell me about that. Right? I said, but you've got to make it quick because I'm trying to get ready for the sermon tonight. I didn't say that, right? <laughs> I said, tell me, right? This could, tell me about the story. He said, he said uh, I got a liver transplant on New, Year, on, on, on New Year's Eve. And I said, well, how long ago? Which New Year's Eve? He said, this past New Year's Eve. Just, just a couple of months ago. And I said, wow. He said, he said, I should have died so many times last year. So many times they told my daughter who had power of attorney, he's not going to make it. You need to take him off life support. And she just wouldn't do it. He said, that's too much responsibility for someone that young to carry. He said, did you read in the paper about the young girl that tragically died at Christmas in Gloucester. And I said, I remember hearing about that story. He said that, he said, I have one of the most rare blood types that exist. And that's why I wasn't going to get my liver transplant. And this girl that, that died, her blood type was just like mine. In fact, he said, I was the only person in this entire region, he began to name all of these states, that was a candidate for that liver so I'm, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, this is, this is an amazing story. This was just a few hours ago. He's telling me this story. And I said, have you had a chance to meet the family? He said, oh, yeah. I've met them many times. And this is what he says. I kid you not. He says, that father prays for me every day. And every day I cry for him. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right, this story that's just that's, that happened right here on the peninsula. And and I'm and I'm just I'm so moved by the story. And so we begin to talk about some other things and encouraging him. I'm you know talking to him about some other churches that are close to where he lives and trying to encourage him to get back into a, a community of, of faith because he needs it and also they, people need his story. As I was walking up the steps to my office, I just I, I saw Matthew 20, 28. Where Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom for many. And it made me think of this moment in our service that you and I have a responsibility to ransom our lives for other people. You and I have a responsibility to ransom our lives for other people. It means that I've got to be willing to give some things that are valuable to me, I've got to give them up to buy something back that others have lost. 
This story of, of this man is the most beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, right? He ransomed his life so that we could live. And in his example is the life that you and I are supposed to live. How are you ransoming your life for other people? What price are you paying right now for the sake of another? And one of them is supposed to be that when you gather together in corporate times like this, something inside of you, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you feel a little bit awkward, part of the way that you ransom your life for the sake of others is to be visible in your worship. Because there are people in this room every week who are making a decision about whether or not they're going to trust God and they're looking around for a reason to do it and they're supposed to find it in you. I'm probably never going to dance like Pastor David Godwin can dance. If that happens, Jesus is about to come back. I will never sing some of you don't say, you say never. If you heard me sing, you would say, say never, never. I'm never going to sing like Chris House. I don't have an excuse to not worship. I can barely clap on beat. For me, dancing is the rhythmic point. Right? Tapping my foot then going to the heel, coming back to the toe. Sometimes I incorporate the rhythmic point. This is me breaking it down right here. That's all you're going to get. You got to find something that you can do. Because if I can do something, you can do something. Sometimes, I know this is crazy, I turn my hand over when I clap. And then on beat, I switch back over. And I'm going, oh, I'm good. I'm good. And then I look up and see Gina dancing, and I just close my eyes and go back to my clapping. <laughs> breaking it down. Pastor Fred's breaking it down. You got to do more than you're doing now. We're all going to reach a ceiling. I'm pretty close to mine. I'm sure I am. But you got to get farther. There's more in you that wants to worship God. The question is, are you going to let yourself do it? Because you're thirsty and other people are desperate. Desperate for a reason to put their trust in him. This is a public place for us. Every week, I get so excited when I come to church. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I think when I'm old and ancient, and some of you might say you're already there, when I'm older and more ancient than I already am, can I just tell you, church on Saturday is like Christmas for me every week, because I know that something inside of me is desperately thirsty for the presence of God, and you might say, well, I don't have to come to church to experience the presence of God, and what I would say to you, you're absolutely right, and if you're experiencing the presence of God Monday, Sunday through Friday, then you you're all the more motivated to get here on Saturday to share it with other people. I'm desperately thirsty when I, I'm come for the, the presence of God that I find in community. There's a presence of God that we find alone by ourselves. That's one of the reasons why Jesus so oftentimes went off by himself to be alone with God. But whenever he was alone with God, you know what he did next? He came to be with people. Because there's a revelation of his presence that we only find in community together. And I can't wait to get here every Saturday to find it. Something inside of you has got to get to that same place. And that when you get here, you got to find your expression of worship and give yourself to it. Whether you feel conspicuous, whether you feel awkward, whether or not you feel like you're unqualified, or maybe you're the person that's dealing with shame, then I'm just saying then you need it all the more than anyone else. We're not talking about making a scene. We're not talking about your motivation being drawing attention to yourself. What we're talking about is being in step with the room, right? It's not, it's not hard. So when the room's loud, let's be loud together. If the room is quiet, then don't be the person that's loud. That's being out of step with what's happening. 
that when we're quiet and reflective, then let's be quiet and reflective together. But when there are these moments, like we experienced already tonight, where there's just a, 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 a move of passion that you feel in the room, you got, you got to be willing to get in that river. you got to be willing to say, I want to get in and, and, be, and be a part of that. You might say to me, Fred, what you're telling me is the last thing that I need to hear. Because what I'm saying to you, others are watching. But that should be the thing that you want to hear. And this idea of other people watching, it's, it's not because they want you to feel conspicuous. Is that something inside of them is desperately searching for a reason to trust God. And oftentimes they find it in our praise. The answers are right here in this book. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. You might say, well, well, Fred, it sounds like you're just talking about emotion. And what I would say to you is, you better believe I am. You better believe I am. Who derailed the church decades ago to insert the myth that the more stoic you are, the more dignified you are, and the more spiritual you have become. Because I'm just telling you, that's a lie. It's a lie. I believe that when you let your heart go and to feel emotion in times of worship, I think those moments are some of the times when we're the most like God. Don't take my word for it. How about Zephaniah 3.17? Yeah, that's a book in the Bible. Zephaniah. The Lord your God is in your midst. Come on. A warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. God rejoices over you. Oh, this is good. He will be quiet in his love. I'm reading on the Amplified. So many... Translations of the Bible get this wrong. He will be quiet in his love, which means that he's not making mention of your sin, even though he knows it. That's good, isn't it? We could learn to, maybe that's another sermon for another time about relationships being quiet in our love. Listen to how this verse finishes. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That sounds a little emotional to me. I don't know about you. God's excited about you. He, he smiles when he thinks of you, even though he knows all the stuff about you that you hope no one else will know. He knows that, and he still shouts over you with joy. His heart is filled with emotion. So why is it that we bought into some myth and some lie that when I come into his presence and there's an opportunity for me to let my guard down and just be emotional in his presence, who said that that's unspiritual? Because this book that I'm reading, I think it says that's what spirituality sometimes looks like, is letting the emotions of your heart flow. Stand with me. Father, as we close out our time of worship, together tonight with this song. I pray that all of us would have a sense of permission to drink from a fountain that we're desperately thirsty for. And then we would choose to lay down pride and walk in true dignity, which always looks like serving others. And to be willing to be seen in our praise so others might trust in you. Let's worship together.